Hey there, welcome back to Fertility Cafe. I'm your host, Eloise Drain. Welcome to episode 80 of Fertility Cafe. In this episode, we get to hear from an intended parent via surrogacy and what the experience was like from her perspective. Most people choose surrogacy as a way to start or add to their family. The first successful gestational surrogacy took place in 1985, in which a gestational surrogate carried a child genetically unrelated to her on behalf of the intended parents. Over time, surrogacy laws have evolved to embrace the family-building practice for hopeful parents nationwide. On with me today is Amy Ogantala, an intended parent of three boys via gestational surrogacy. Amy, welcome, and thank you so much for being here. Thank you for having me. I'm, I'm excited. So would you mind sharing your story and just kind of how you even got to surrogacy? You know, I have a little bit of a different story from most people, really because I wasn't really even sure that I wanted children. I was focused on career. I'd spent the bulk of my 20s and my 30s, you know, focused on professional development, focused on what I want to do with my life, what I want to do with my career. And I got married later in life. So the conversation around children was just not something I had to confront or deal with in in my 20s or certainly in my early 30s. And so I'll tell you the story. Interestingly enough, I took up running, which I always joke that if I just, you know, sat on the couch and ate cheesecake, I'd be totally fine. But I took up running and I got up to six miles a day, which which I was incredibly proud of. And one day I hurt my hip and I ended up spending maybe a few months trying to nurse it back until finally I went to the orthopedist and they said, why don't we do an MRI and see what's going on with your hip? So just to give a timeline at this point, I'm about 38 years old. So I'm 38. I'm newly married, by the way. And I go for the MRI for my hip and the MRI results come back and they say there is an almost grapefruit sized tumor in your uterus that you may want to have addressed. (laughs) And so all of a sudden I find myself confronted with having to deal with something that wasn't even on radar. I go to specialists, I go to check it out and it turns out I have fibroids. So wait, so you, obviously you were going to doctor's offices for your annual physicals and all of that. That's right. And nobody noticed that you had this massive fibroid? Not at all. Not at all. And I was on top of my appointments. I went annually. I was very diligent about it. And I didn't feel any differently, really. But with fibroids, though, they say, you know, for a lot of women that have fibroids, you get extremely heavy periods. You get. I've always had heavy periods. I've always had heavy periods. So it wasn't really an indication for you? Absolutely not. As a matter of fact, I don't know that I could have even told you that I had heavy periods because to me, it felt very normal. That was just what life was like. I've had heavy periods as a teenager. And it's just to me, I thought that's what everyone went through. Right. Mm. How bizarre, how bizarre. So I find myself in a situation where I go to have the fibroid addressed and my gynecologist tells me, well, you're going to have to have a hysterectomy. And I think, well, I know what that is. That's removal of the uterus, but wait a minute. So we do that. That means I can't ever have children. Mm. 
And what's interesting is at that point in my career and at that point in my relationship and my marriage, I really, in my head, of course, looking back on it, it sounds so crazy, but in my head, I thought, oh, I always have the option to have kids. I'm 38. You know, people, women have children at 45 and 46 and 49. You see them, you know, they're mm-hmm. on the news, mm-hmm. the celebrities, you see them. I'm, I have time to think about it. So it wasn't even on radar as a real point that I needed to tackle in that moment. And so when my gynecologist said, we're going to have to have a hysterectomy, and I realized at that point, wait a minute, the decision is now being made for me Mm. and I've come to the end of my road. And all of a sudden, I don't know that I want to be here. I don't know that I'm okay with this. And so that really began the start of circling around and looking for specialists and looking for someone who could really save my uterus. That was really the thinking. Can we go in, because it was a rather large fibroid, can we go in, can we take the fibroid out, save the uterus with the goal of me essentially retaining my choice to have children in the future? And that's sort of where I was thinking at that point. I was able to find someone who did a robotic myomectomy, which was going in, removing the fibroid robotically, and still saving the uterus. Mm -hmm. I went through that process and thought, okay, great, right? Went through the surgery. The surgery went off without a hitch. I went home, and maybe about a week, 10 days later or so, I had the follow-up with the doctor, with the specialist, And I go in and I'll never forget it. I sit across the desk and he pulls up this picture. And if you've never seen a picture of your uterus or post-surgery, it looks like nothing. You have no idea what you're looking at. (laughs) You know, the doctors, they know what they're looking at and they're pointing at these different areas. And then he tells me, you have severe endometriosis. Okay, got it. That's hence the heavy periods, hence the pain, painful periods. And nobody, again, all this time that you're going to the doctors every year ever diagnosed you with endometriosis? Not ever. Not once. Did not come up at all. Did you share the, like the, your symptoms and experiences that you were having every time you got your period? Well, remember, part of the challenge for me was I don't know that I knew there was anything untoward or different from my experience compared to other women. So I knew I had heavy periods. It wasn't something that came up really beyond that. Mm-hmm. And that was it. And, and we never really unpacked. We never unpacked beyond that. So he shares, hey, you have severe endometriosis. It's actually gone. It was so bad, they had to surgically separate my colon from, I can't remember at this point, some other organ internally. I mean, it was pretty involved. So... He was still able to save my uterus, but he said, you have, because of the endometriosis and how far it's really gone, how involved it is, and you have severe adenomyosis, which at that point I'm thinking that sounds like a really fancy word. What does that mean? And he explains to me that implantation is going to be difficult. Mm -hmm. And even if I get to a point where implantation happens, the chances that I'm going to be able to carry a child, a baby to term is really going to be challenging. It's, it's, it's going to be very, very difficult to do so. And so 
you know, uh, he leaves me with this news. And of course, it's extremely deflating because I think I've gone through all this to try to save this ability to have children. And essentially, here's the specialist that I've gone to telling me it's not going to happen. Mm -hmm. And I went home and I cried. I cried. And I don't know that I can tell you that I knew I wanted children until that point, until the point that I realized that it was not going to happen. And all of a sudden I started doing the mathematics and all of a sudden I was confronted with facts Mm. that really I should have been paying attention to all along about, well, you know, if you're over 30 years old, your eggs start to decline. And if you're over 35 years old, it's, and we hear these things, but I think for a lot of women who may be hyper-focused on developing themselves professionally, you just don't, you're not, it's not front and center. It may be in the periphery. It's somewhere in the shadows of your mind, but it's just not something that you are hyper-focused on, Mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So in any case, you know, at 38, I step away and, uh, Quite frankly, I I got myself into therapy. I got myself into therapy. And I think part of the conversation for me was getting comfortable with the idea of, hey, I've just been handed the sentence of I'm never going to have children. What does that mean for me? Mm-hmm. And, you know, do I really want children? Maybe I don't. Maybe I'm okay and I just don't know it. Maybe I'm just being a brat. And it's the fact that a choice has been taken away from me. And... I went through therapy really for for a few years and it was just something that I just continued to grapple with. And during that time, I was told, hey, listen, why don't you go and actually speak to an infertility specialist? specialist?" Mm -hmm. So I end up going from the doctor who does the robotic myomectomy over to the specialist at the infertility clinic. And I said, here's a situation. I had a robotic myomectomy. I have my uterus, but apparently it's not worth anything. So what what happens now? And, you know, after going through a series of tests, it turns out that I can't remember what test exactly that they did, but they told me, hey, it looks like you had your eggs are viable. So you probably had an AMH done. That sounds familiar. There you go. That's it. But, you know, again, we still have the issue of caring implantation and the issue of caring to terms. So what does that mean? And the doctor said, well, you can consider surrogacy. And I just, I will never forget this. I will never, ever forget this because I thought, you know, I don't know anyone in my life or in my circle who's been through surrogacy. And Mm -hmm. I think at that point, we're talking about five years ago now. At that point, surrogacy for me was something you saw on, you know, Mm -hmm. like the front page of the, the tabloids, you know, as you're checking out through the supermarket, you see hey, this celebrity has gone through surrogacy. It just wasn't a real life thing. And so they mentioned it. And I said, what would I need to know to understand more? And they were actually kind enough to forward me a few contacts, some surrogacy agencies that they worked with, you know, so that I could learn more. And they gave me a quick overview and I stepped away and said I would think about it. So at this point, again, walking you through the timeline, I'm somewhere around 39 and of course, the big 4-0 hits. I turned 40. And at 40, I just had this epitome where I said, you know what? I've gone through a few years of therapy. This is something I want to do. I want to learn and understand more about what 
my possibilities really are. Because even at that point, the concept of surrogacy was more of an idea mm. that might work. Mm-hmm. Not necessarily, hey, this is going to work and you're going to have kids. It's just, hey, if you'd like to unpack it a little bit more and delve into it a little bit more, here's an avenue where you can start having some conversations and we can see where this goes. So at 40, I had some very initial conversations with surrogacy agencies and I made the plunge, the decision to actually go through IVF. And I went through two rounds of IVF. We were given the fact that I was 40 years old, lucky enough to have one viable embryo Mm -hmm. out of the first round and three embryos out of the second round. And I did do them back. I mean, I want to say they were almost three months apart. It was pretty back to back, pretty back to back. Because after the first round of IVF, I thought, okay, one embryo. And I know, hey, what are the chances of this sticking? And in my head, I just remember giving myself a 50-50 chance. Not because anyone shared this with me, but I think the, the chances that if we had a good embryo, we would be able to transplant into a surrogate and have a take. I can't remember the percentages that were given to me, but it was a little higher than that. Actually, I think it was quite a bit higher than that. Mm -hmm. And I decided in my head it was 50-50 and one wasn't enough. So we went quickly into a second round of IVF. And so, sorry, when you did your IVF, you tested your embryos. Yes. Okay. Absolutely. I think at 40 years old and, you know, my husband's a couple of years older than I am, we decided that we wanted to have the best chance to make sure this worked. And so we did go through, I think it's PGS or PGD Mm -hmm. screening. Mm -hmm. And there was one viable embryo there. And we said, well, we want to have a good shot at this. So let's go through a second round of IVF, which we did. And we ended up with three embryos. And for anyone who's been through the IVF process or understands anything about the IVF process, not exactly something you want to do over and over and over again. I mean, it just, it's just the pits. Yeah. Um, So anyway, so here, here I was with four embryos and I'm like, all right, now what? (laughs) (laughs) Now, where do we go? So my husband and I, at this point, we've pretty much resigned ourselves to understanding that we're not going to be able to transfer the embryos into me because we don't want to take the chances that, you know, it doesn't work. And so we started the conversations with surrogacy agencies. And that was one heck of an experience, let me tell you. Yes. So let's talk about that now. So you now have these embryos and the fertility clinic, you said, gave you names of agencies. So did you just literally start going down the list and calling agencies? So they they gave us three. They gave us three names. And I think at that point, you know, the question in my head was, again, not knowing anyone who's done surrogacy, I thought, well, obviously the surrogates on drugs, they're going to steal my baby. They want my children. They're going to hold me. You know, I, I, the baby will be held ransom somewhere in, I don't know, some random corner of the world. I'm never going to see them again. What if they don't take care of themselves? I mean, there, there are so, the boogeyman is real 
with surrogacy. If you're an intended parent and you come into the space Mm -hmm. and it's so bad if you don't know anyone who's gone through this, Mm -hmm. it is so bad. And so I, I, you know, I really started the process and thought, let me just learn a little bit more about what it means to be an agency. How does the agency interact with an intended parent? And probably number one on my list at that point was I was afraid of the cost, right? Mm -hmm. Because again, something only celebrities did in my head. So I'm like, well, this isn't even feasible from a financial standpoint. And then I was afraid of the surrogates. I'm like, where are you finding? Are you going on Craigslist to find the Mm surrogate? I don't even know if Craigslist exists anymore or not. Yeah. But I'm like, where are you getting the surrogates? And and why are they do? Why would anyone do this for someone else? Mm -hmm. That was my big question. Why? Mm -hmm. Why, why, why? And maybe what I'm doing right now is I'm telling you what a bad person I really am. No. (laughs) Right? Because I just, I'm like, why would anyone do this? No, I think think what you're actually saying is realistic to what a lot of people are, you know, experience when they first learn that most likely in order for them to be able to complete their family as they want it, they have to go down the route of surrogacy. And what does that mean? Because, and it's funny that not all, the intended parents have their fears. And then of course the surrogates have their fears. Right. And everybody is coming with the baggage of the unknown. Right. You basically have an anxiety party that's yes. like unfolding. Yes. <laughs> yes. With the agency in the middle is what I've learned. Yes. So I, I did. I We got three names from the fertility clinic. And then, of course, me being the type A data-driven person that I am, I went on online and I started looking at different surrogacy agencies and how can you rate them and what are the ratings or the Google reviews or is there some kind of a an industry standard that actually says, hey, this surrogacy agency is better than this one. And of course, there really wasn't much data out there. Mm -hmm. And I found three more on my own. Mm -hmm. And so we had a total of six agencies that we decided we were were going to speak with. And that was interesting. That was interesting. (laughs) I will share that some of the, I think a couple of the agencies that we spoke with were really headed by attorneys. Mm -hmm. And when I say attorneys, I mean attorneys who just by trade and by sheer, you know, virtue of what they did professionally happen to be in the space, but they didn't get the emotional piece. They didn't really understand the drivers. You know, they didn't understand the emotional piece. It was a very sterile sort of conversation and it can be incredibly almost destabilizing to get you know, on screen or get in front of someone where you are just bearing your your deepest, really inadequacies mm-hmm. with someone who who can't connect with where you're coming from at all mm-hmm. and doesn't really connect with it. And they're treating you in a very clinical and sterile and cold fashion. And so for us, and this just could be a personality thing. Where I was, I needed someone to really just be a little warm with me. I needed a little bit of warmth. You needed empathy. I did. I did. Mm-hmm. And it was very, very difficult for me to just kind of bear like, yeah, well, I don't work the way every other woman's supposed to work. So here I am. Right. You know, that part was tough. And so I think 
for my husband and I, when we found that we would speak to someone who, you know, is that point of contact to deal with intended parents, but we weren't getting that, the warmth or the openness, and we were just getting a, a stream of facts, even though I'm quite data-driven, it, it was difficult. Mm-hmm. It was just difficult. And so I think those agencies we decided weren't going to be a fit for what it is I needed throughout the process Mm -hmm. because I was coming from a very, very vulnerable place and Mm -hmm. I needed someone to understand that. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really important to me. Right. So out of the six, I think we spoke to a couple that were headed by attorneys and we just decided that that wasn't necessarily the best, you know, like anything else, it comes down to fit. It wasn't, it wasn't the right fit for us. We spoke with a few other agencies where Again, part of what I was trying to figure out is why on God's green earth would anyone choose to do this for someone else? Mm -hmm. You know, and some of the agencies we spoke with were very dismissive in terms of the role of the surrogate. And I think I, even though this is, this is going to be borderline cringy, I will say one agency really just told us, oh, these girls, we'll get you these girls, these girls. And I, I got off the phone and I talked to my husband. I said, this made me feel dirty. Mm. This made me feel bad. I cannot possibly imagine just referring to a surrogate as, oh, these girls. That was so bad. And so that for us it was so important to maintain a degree of mutual respect Mm -hmm. for me. And again, this comes down to fit and the mutual respect was a big bit. And so those agency or that particular agency, actually there was one that kept on referring to these girls and my husband and I both felt icky about it. And we, you know, we decided that that wasn't going to work. And so I think we really out of the six came down to a final two, if I remember a final two. And the biggest piece for me was I needed someone who would share the facts. I needed someone who would do it with a little bit of warmth. And I needed someone who could share and understand not only where I was coming from as an intended parent, but tell me a little bit about a surrogate's journey. Mm -hmm. What might lead them to making this decision? What does that side look like? What would make me a great intended parent? What would make me a bad one? What's important? What are the priorities? Just as most intended parents, I can tell you, most intended parents want a surrogate who's going to care, who's going to take care of the baby, who's going to be communicative, who's going to be open, who's going to take care of themselves. There are also a set of priorities on the surrogate side, and that was important for me to understand. Mm -hmm. So that's really the agency we ended up going with was the conversation that we had with you, Mm -hmm. which was you understood both sides. It was the only conversation I had out of the six where I got to speak with someone who completely understood what the intended parents were grappling with and could speak to the experience of the surrogates and could speak to what the drivers were And could speak to it from a factual and data-driven and open place and still with a layer of warmth and mutual respect around both roles. Mm -hmm. That was critically important to us. So fast forward, obviously, you guys decided to work with Family Inceptions and we presented you with profiles. Yes. 
Oh, God. And I know, obviously, it's very difficult to now give you a profile and say, okay, here, would you want to work with this person to carry, you know, your baby for you? And it's like, how in the world am I supposed to know if this person is going to do a good job or not? So walk me through that experience for you when, you know, we sent a profile over and it's just like, now what? Well, I think the first time we were just so excited, right? And maybe at that point, I'd gotten enough of a grounding in what the journey ought to look like. Mm -hmm. that, And I understood the background and the myriad of background and medical and, and psychological and financial and other checks that were done on the surrogate that I was less antsy around, oh my gosh, who are you putting in front of me? So I think we were just really excited to get a profile in front of us Mm -hmm. and reviewed it and and looked for general fit and just decided, yes, let's speak. Absolutely. Let's, let's, you know, get together and speak to this person and see what that dynamic looks like. Mm -hmm. And interestingly enough, the first person or the first couple, because it wasn't just her, my husband and I spoke with her and her husband, we decided wasn't a fit for us Mm -hmm. because I kept on thinking this is someone who I'm going to interact with for probably at least about a year, pretty closely. And not only that, we wanted to actually have a relationship with our surrogate beyond that. And that doesn't mean like, you know, like, you you know, we're so close and it's like forced family fun friend time. But it was important <laughs> to me. I, I felt so much gratitude for someone who would be willing to do this and go through this and bring and help make me a mom Mm -hmm. that I couldn't imagine just at the end of that going, okay, well, thanks. Great. This, this all worked out, you know? Mm -hmm. And again, personal preference. I know that there are different, you know, ways of thinking around this. So personality fit is actually really, really important. Can I interact with this individual for the next year? Can I talk to them? Can I be open? Can I be vulnerable? Can I tell them what I'm afraid of? Is it easy to speak with them? Are we aligned in terms of what we expect out of the relationship? And I probably have a weird reason for turning down the first surrogate that we talked to. And the reason was, you know, I'm very upfront and I'm very raw, raw, pro-woman, woman's voice. And, you know, the first couple we spoke with her husband kept interrupting and answering for her. And I realized that just from a personality standpoint, I thought, oh my God, I'm going to shut this guy down. And like, you know, (laughs) this guy won't stop interrupting her. Like, let her speak. And I just knew that that was eventually going to present itself as as a potential problem. And I thought, you know, this is not going to work longer term. This Mm -hmm. is not going to... And my husband knew that, which is the funny part, because he just said, yeah, I don't know that this is going to work. And they were very, very nice. But again, that was the one trigger for me was I thought, how do we engage? What does the interaction feel like? And, you know, what are some potential triggers? And I think being open and honest about that is just critical. Yes. Yes, absolutely. I agree. So obviously that match wasn't successful. And then we presented a second profile to you. Correct. And she was absolutely amazing. And her husband was absolutely amazing. And we got through the initial conversation, which was virtual. 
and it was great. And then we decided to meet in person. And interestingly enough, she brought her mom to the meeting. So we met her husband, herself, and her mom. Mm -hmm. And mom was concerned because mom said, I want to know, you know, I think this is a little, not necessarily something I would have done myself. And I want to know who she would want to do this for. And I want to know your story. And would you believe that today I'm still in touch with mom and actually every birthday of my son, Jack, who is now going to be turning three, I send mom flowers and I send our surrogate flowers. Oh my god! And we are in touch and I'm just in touch with mom as I am. It was an amazing experience. It was an incredible experience and I wouldn't trade it for anything in the world. It is just unreal. Wow. Just unreal. That's awesome. I, yeah. d- I didn't know that. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Mom is, mom is incredible. And it was just lovely. It was just lovely. Now, the and the pregnancy was amazing and great. And obviously, was it successful on the first attempt? Shockingly, yes. Because I don't think I expected it. I expected to have, you know... We were successful. We had an embryo transfer and it took and every step of the way, I still remember still giving myself the out like, well, yeah, she's four months pregnant, but we'll see. And at some point I had to stop saying we'll see Mm -hmm. because she was then six months pregnant. And I I thought this is happening. Mm -hmm. This is happening. Like, oh, so, wow, I really may need to start yeah, getting baby this stuff. this is actually yeah. happening. Yeah. And, and our son was born. He was born via emergency C-section. He was born about three weeks early. And we were there, and mom was there, and her husband was there. And it was like one big, it was just unreal. It was unreal. And the the it was better than anything I could have ever hoped for, really. So you clearly had baby one. Yes, and then decided that you wanted a sibling. Yes, because I thought, wow, we have three additional embryos. And I knew, you know, my husband's an only child. And I knew I come from a small family myself. And so I knew that we wanted to make sure if we could, if we were lucky enough, that our that our son had a sibling. And so we decided to do it again. And, you know, the heartbreak in all of this for me was that our first surrogate wasn't eligible to do it again because she had the emergency C-section and some uh, medical issues around that that last bit there. But we started the process all over again with another surrogate. Yeah. And how was that experience? Because obviously everybody is different and every single surrogacy journey, even though it is that you've already experienced it, it still can be very different from every single one. So was your second surrogacy journey experience different than the first? Different, absolutely different. Absolutely different. Now, for one, uh, it, it unfolded during COVID, yeah, which made everything weird because we weren't able to go to any of the doctor appointments where before we'd gone to, well, not all of them, but we'd gone to a good number of them. It was different in that most embryo transfer was done via FaceTime, which was interesting. I did I never thought that I would be FaceTiming while the embryo transfer was happening. A lot of the doctor appointments were conducted via FaceTime because of COVID. And also from a personality standpoint, she was different. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, she was she was a little bit calmer personality-wise. She was a little bit more muted. 
She was very, very easy to speak with, but it was a different kind of relationship. Mm -hmm. But she was wonderful. Mm -hmm. She was wonderful. And we were, while I actually missed the birth of our first son because it was an emergency C-section and she was in a different state. And I joke that by the time we finally got to the hospital, I got handed a baby that was almost like delivered by a (laughs) stork. Smelled like lavender, wrapped up in a wonderful blanket. It was totally different. The second time, we were able to be there for the birth. And even though um, up until literally pulling into the parking lot in the hospital, we weren't sure, again, because of COVID, that we would even be allowed upstairs into the hospital. But it all worked out, and we were there, and I cut the cord. (laughs) I cut the cord. Can you imagine that? It was unreal. I saw my son come out. I cut the cord. It was, I mean, just wild. So wild. Just from the perspective of a woman. Yes. You know? I mean, women normally just don't have that perspective. But literally, I I held her leg as the baby came out. It was just nuts. Yeah. So nuts. Yeah. And I mean, and, you know, funny enough, because when I did my first surrogacy journey, well, it was twins. And baby A came out and mom, intended mom, actually cut the cord too. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Intended mom cut the cord as well. Intended dad, I don't even know where he was. Oh, no. So my husband was hiding behind me. Okay, yeah. And I think he said something along the lines of, well, if the doctors can't handle this, then, you know, I shouldn't be able to. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, he was out. He was behind me. Yeah. So yeah, intended dad was in my case too. He was he was in the room. I just I didn't see him for a long time. And then so baby A came out, mom cut the cord, and then unfortunately baby B flipped. Uh-oh. And I had to end up having an emergency C-section. Wow. So I had one uh, vaginal delivery and then within 45 minutes, within Yikes. within an hour. I had a C-section. So I literally delivered both ways uh, oh in one, gosh, yeah, one sitting. Sounds, I, I wouldn't recommend that. Yeah, just that way. sounds a little rough. Yeah, yeah. So now you had a successful journey with your second one, but you're we now did. doing I know, I know. We did. And it is worth noting that, again, I went into it thinking, well, let's see if the second transfer is successful. You know, and I went through the same, you know, our surrogate was, again, three, four, five, six months pregnant. And here I am still holding out, you know, trying to essentially control my own emotions around mm-hmm. it. And we were successful and now we have two embryos left. And so now we start the conversation around, well, what does this now mean for us in terms of what to do with the other embryos? And now I have, you know, two sons that are essentially 18 months apart. And my husband and I, you know, had really many, many conversations and and many heart to hearts around what to do and just decided we are so lucky, blessed, thankful, you know, let's just do it. Let's do it again. Mm -hmm. Let's go for it. And Mm -hmm. so now we are on our third journey and our surrogate is a little over four months pregnant. And it's the same surrogate as your second journey. Same surrogate as our second journey. And um, thankfully, knock on wood, to date, uneventful, everything's going really well. And we have one more embryo left. So let's let's see. Let's see. (laughs) So now, 
what, obviously, I think surrogacy, even from the time you start, even after delivery is an emotional roller coaster. Oh, it is. It is. So on both sides, it is. Yes, it is. absolutely. So what would it, for you, after delivery and you got to bring your baby home, you know, because a lot of people, we only really talk about the surrogacy and then you have the baby and then we stop. We don't really have the conversation after you bring the baby home. And it's just like, okay, I'm I'm here now. I finally got everything that I wanted as far as having a child. Am I now content? Am I happy that I went through this process? Would I have changed anything or? So what's interesting is I am beyond thrilled. I am beyond thrilled. I really am. But, but I will share this and I'm very open about talking about this because I I think we just don't enough. One of the things that I grappled with was Hey, our surrogate was in a different state. So I I literally got to see her a handful of times during even the first journey. You know, we were able to go to some doctor appointments where we saw her, you know, I don't know, maybe seven or so times during the entire process. And throughout the whole thing, I wondered, you know, she's, I felt like she was building a bond with a baby. She felt the baby kick. She felt the baby move. She felt, you know, I would just get... You know, I would talk to her, so I'd get updates. I'd understand what was going on. I would see her every so often. But in terms of building a bond, there's almost a degree of removal because, Mm -hmm. again, and the fact that I wasn't even there for the birth. So I showed up again with my nice lavender-smelling wrapped-up baby in a blanket, and it was almost like someone handed a human to me, which is what happened. Someone handed handed me a human being and said, this human being is yours. Mm -hmm. And, uh, yeah, good luck. (laughs) And so... (laughs) So going home, when you get home, you almost, it took a little while for me to let all of my guard down. Because keep in mind, I've I've been guarded for so long Mm -hmm. because it wasn't just being guarded for, you know, the uh, length of the pregnancy. I've been guarded for years from when I found out I couldn't have children to when I went through the IVF process to when we found a surrogate and we went through the pregnancy And all of a sudden, now everything for years is now in front of me. It's not a light switch. Mm. And it took me a little bit every day, every day of getting to know this human being and connecting with this human being. And to the point that I even questioned myself day one. And I thought, you know, I've had my dog for nine years and I really, really love my dog. And yes, I love the baby, but I felt like it should be more because I really love the dog. And, Mm -hmm. and, and it sounds like a bad person, but these are all of the emotions that are that are bubbling up within you that people don't talk about. Mm-hmm. People don't talk about mm-hmm. this because, mm-hmm. you know, you're supposed to be magically completely in love from the first instant. And I actually question how many people go through that. Mm-hmm. Really, mm-hmm. I do. Mm-hmm. I do. Yeah, I, I, I definitely agree. So what would you tell someone who's considering, you know, going the surrogacy route? I think you need to find humans, normal humans, not the celebrities, not the, you know, athletes. You need to find human beings that are willing to speak to you about it. Mm -hmm. I was lucky enough that I was able to connect through various networks with actual other intended parents who had gone through this process as part of my, you know. Due diligence. Correct. Correct. 
and speak with them. And so I learned a little bit more. And I think when, when you're able to do that, you, you make the, the journeys real. It becomes real. It does, it's not some pie in the sky story that happens on a lifetime movie that you're just, you know, seeing. Talk to people, talk about it. Find, there are intended parents that would love to speak to you about it. I never, ever turned down a conversation, ever because it was so important to me when we were going through this process to get to understand other people's experiences and other people's journeys and other people's learnings. Mm-hmm. And I would say, find people that you can talk to that are willing to share their own experiences with you and ask them the difficult questions. Ask them the embarrassing questions. Ask them the, qu- the questions you think you should know, you should have the answers to. Ask it anyway mm-hmm. and talk about it. Yeah, and, and that would probably be my biggest advice. And then last question, and I've been asking several people this question, what, if anything, do you think needs to change within the fertility industry to make the experience better for intended parents? Oh, oh, that's a good question. So uh, I don't know that I can say that this is within the fertility industry as much as I think society in general. We make infertility a dirty word. Oh, yes. We, society collectively makes infertility a dirty word. You know, women go through miscarriages. It's generally a quiet, dirty thing. We don't talk about it. We don't talk about infertility. There are so many people that go through IVF. When I started becoming very open about my own experience, both with IVF and with going through surrogacy, it's amazing how many people I met in my day-to-day and in my world who's like, oh yeah, I went through this, or my sister went through this, or my friend went through this. And so I really would encourage everyone in this space to become very open and very vocal about it. And it is not a dirty word. Mm -hmm. And I think the more we talk about it and we shine a light on it, you know, you don't feel like you're alone by yourself in the in the bowels of some dark pit when you're going through this. And again, I don't know who to hold responsible, but I do my share by being very, very open and approachable. And I, I don't hide. I don't yeah. hide behind this. And I know it's it's very difficult for to say this to someone while you're going through it, but that would be my biggest advice. Okay, actually, I do have one final question. Yes. What will you tell your boys? about their stories? Every little bit of it. Every little bit of it. I would tell them that they were they were wanted more than, you know, I mean, I wanted them. I went through this. And when I say I, I mean, I, the collective, me and my husband, right? I'd be very open about it. Um, it was important to us that we maintain relationships with our surrogates. We share pictures. Like I said, my son's almost three years old now, my oldest. And we share pictures, we're very open, and we start, of course, at an age-appropriate level. Of course. But we start the conversation about, you know, babies come from mommy's tummies, and, you know, mommy couldn't have you in her tummy because her tummy was broken. And so, you know, and so I'm very, very open about it. And I think it there's nothing to be shameful about or, you know, it, they'll know the full story. And... And I hope they will know how loved they were and how much went into bringing them into this world. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yep, absolutely. Well, thank you, Amy, for being on the show with me today. I I enjoy the conversation, but I also am grateful that you were willing to just share your experience and your perspective. And hopefully 
you know, it will give others some kind of insight as to what they can expect going down this surrogacy journey. Absolutely. Absolutely. Anytime. And thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening. If you found this episode helpful, please rate Fertility Cafe on your favorite listening platform and share this episode with anyone you think could benefit from hearing it. Thank you so much for joining me today. Until next time, remember, love has no limits, neither should parenthood.